היי, אתם מדברים על אונ ישראל, אני בן כספית מתל אביב. Voting patterns in Israel are almost always influenced by security issues. Israelis love to complain about the cost of living, about their schools and health care, but at the ballot box, the deciding factor is which party they feel will best ensure the country's security. That's why Benjamin Netanyahu has devoted his career or to branding himself Mr. Security, the guardian of the Jewish state. But ahead of the elections one month from now, something seems different. The coronavirus crisis has changed people's priorities to an extent that they may also affect their vote. In addition to discussion of health care and education and to Netanyahu's ratings in handling the crisis, economic issues are also high on the agenda. Close to 80,000 businesses have shut their doors over the past year, and nearly one million Israelis are unemployed. Savings are gone, the GDP has shrunk, and the effects of the crisis on more than two million children cooped up at home for most of the past year would be felt for ages. With economy and social issues at the forefront of voter con- concerns, Netanyahu is focusing his campaign On one message, he will get Israelis out of the mess. So far, his favorite issues, Iran, Hezbollah, Hamas, are on a back burner. In Israel's uh, multi-party political system, some interesting characters register as candidates before each election, attracting attention, but rarely any votes. The strangest bird to emerge ahead of the March 23rd election, and for those of you who cannot keep track, these are the fourth election in less than two years, is actually one of the most highly educated, brilliant candidates in contemporary Israeli political history. His name is Professor Yaron Zelicha. He is an economist with long string of impressive titles and degrees. He is currently director of accountancy studies at the Ono Academic College. In the 90s, he was brought abroad to serve as economic advisor to young Prime Minister Netanyahu, and he subsequently served as accountant, accountant general during Netanyahu's term as finance minister in the early years of the millennium. These days, he is considered one of Netanyahu's harshest critics and has pledged to never join his government. Zelicha will probably not have to worry about uh, being offered a seat at Netanyahu's table. The polling number of his new economic party are too low to get him elected to the Knesset, although he declares himself the only candidate who can pull Israel out of its deep economic crisis with a series of major reforms taking on the tycoons and instituting deep change in the state's priorities. Despite heavy pressure on him to drop out of the race in order to increase the chances of defeating Netanyahu, Zelicha insists that He will run to the end. Professor Yaron Zelicha will join us right after this short break. If you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about the Middle East. And if you do, you should probably be reading El Monitor. El Monitor is a global newsroom headquartered in Washington, D.C., with a network of over 160 contributors around the world. 
Elmonitor offers first-class reporting and analysis from a range of perspectives and an approach that represents the highest journalistic standards, as well as an award-winning commitment to press freedom and independence. If you haven't done so already, visit us at elmonitor.com, check out our articles, and sign up for our free newsletters. There's a lot to choose from, including the Week in Review, an essay that offers unusual insights and forecasts into the region based upon Elmonitor's outstanding reporting. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe to our Elmonitor podcast on your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit and On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Now we are delighted to say shalom to Professor Yaron Zelicha, and thank you, Professor, for joining us on the On Israel podcast here. Shalom, Professor. Shalom, Ben. Let's uh, start with the, with the macro uh, question, and actually I want just to ask you, what is the main problem with Israel's economy, in your opinion? Well, <laughs> actually, we have many problems, so I found it find it difficult to answer only one problem. But if you insist, the main problem is that we are lacking any economic policy. It seems that we have a government. It seems that we have a minister of finance, but we don't have any economic policy. We don't have a budget. We don't have any reforms that were implemented for the past few years. And most importantly, um, probably most of the people doesn't have any trust in the government or in its ability to perform a new economic policy. And that creates uncertainty that brings many difficulties if you wish to recover from this crisis. So, so let's, let's go a little deeper because I want to make it uh, harder for you. And uh, you, have, you are very experienced. Uh, you've been working with, with Netanyahu since the 90s in the very uh, senior posts and positions in the Ministry of Treasury in Israel. But according to accepted parameters, Israel's economy is considered highly or at least reasonably successful. Experts are predicting that it will emerge quickly from the corona crisis, pointing to the fact that its international credit ratings were not uh, lower despite the crisis, that the GDP has shrunk, but not sharply, and that economic growth is higher than in many Western democracies. Why fix it if it ain't broken? Well, I think you are confusing between two parameters. The first is the state of the government. And the second is the state of the nation, of the people. As you probably know, since Louis XIV, who said that the state is me, that means that the government is the only, uh, only parameter that you should look upon, then the state of the government is quite good. But the state of the nation is terrible, terrible. Let's speak about the nation. First of all, we have 
by now 23% of the population below the poverty line. And since the measure, the acceptable measure for the poverty line is the median income. And since the median income in Israel is the lowest in, in the Western world, so if we would have taken the average median income in the West, we would be probably around 40% of the population below the poverty line. Second, the average prices for the consumers, for the households in Israel is 25% above the average prices in the West. Third, 20%, 20% of the businesses in Israel collapsed in the past year. There is no single country in the West or not in the West that experienced such a business holocaust, forgive me for the long language. Fourth, the economy is not growing for the past 10 years. In 2009, when Mr. Netanyahu came to office, the GDP per capita, when you accounted for the differences in prices, was 62% of the GDP per capita in America. It is now before the Corona crisis. In 2019, only 52%. Let's speak about the figures. The GDP per capita in America was around 65,000 US dollars. And in Israel, it was 43,000. And the average prices is 25% above. So 43 divided by 65 divided by 1.25, 52% of GDP per capita. So the state of the economy deteriorated between 2009 and now by almost 20% from 62 to 52. Moreover, when I went out of office in 2007, the average couple in Israel worked yearly 36 hours minus the, the average hours of, of an American couple for a year, for a total year. Now it is 146 hours more than average American, average American couple. So we, we went from 62% in income to 52 and in parallel for the working hours increased from minus 36 to plus 146 that means we increased the in, in relative terms the amount of hours worked for a couple by eight percent and decreased the income the relative income from 62 to 52 that is something like 17%. If I, if you were, Ben would have worked for me and I would have increased your hours by 8% and decreased your income in 17% and say to you, Ben, don't worry. The state of the government is very well. Would you have feel comfortable? 
I'll answer you. I know you very well. If I work for you, you know, been fire me within two days. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I will ask you. You are the master of figures, and you are the sharpest uh, economy economic expert in Israel. I think even Mr. Netanyahu will admit it. But I'll ask you a different question. Let's go more into psychology. How come after you've been saying all what you said? The, in all the international polls, the Israeli, the average Israeli is a lot happier than most of his, uh, his friends uh, abroad. And what do you think about the say, uh, many people say that Israel is not one country, it's three. If you take out, you rule out the ultra-Orthodox and the Arab community, you will find a, a whole a lot a richer state than, uh, than the, the, the Israel itself, when you, 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 you said that you're right when you're saying about the, the rate of poverty, but most of the, of the poor people in Israel are, are either, they, they choose their faith in being ultra-Orthodox or from the Arab community. So this is the reason the average Israeli is very happy. Well, you asked me two, yeah. two questions. Let's go through the first one, please, with your permission. It is true that according to uh, yearly polls, annual polls, the average Israeli is very happy, something like 11th in the world. And it is quite stable for the past 10, maybe even 15 years. I don't remember exactly. But these polls are based on self-report. And when you uh, take that into account, you must understand that people doesn't always be honest with themselves when they self-report their uh, happy, uh, happy situation. For example, my wife and myself, my wife, Dr. Orli Zalicha, she is an epi epidemiologist, and myself have uh, published a research just a few months ago at PLOS One, which is an academic, uh, uh, academic uh, outlet. And in, in, this, in this research, we asked, asked a, a, a representative sample of the Israeli population, what are their, uh, how would they rate themselves according to happiness a happiness table. And in parallel, we examined their a psycho psychological situation and asked whether they have diagnosed with depression, clinical depression. Well, we found out that many figures that influence a, their self-report regarding their happiness were quite the opposite when you examine whether they influence their chances to be depressed. That means that the same people that say that they are happy are with very high uh, chances to be depressed clinically. So I wouldn't have based my, my, <laughs> all my hopes according to the self-report of the Israeli people. The famous Israeli optimism. Maybe it's just because we don't like to admit that we're not so happy. 
That's exactly what I wanted to say, and you uh, um, said it more, more so brilliantly. Let's go mainly to the ultra-Orthodox. You're talking a lot about this problem in the Israeli community. Yeah. Well, that's How true. do you solve it? Well, that, that is true that something like half of the Israeli uh, population that they are below the poverty line are Arabs and Orthodox. In fact, the Arab situation is very, very difficult. 45%, Ben, you wouldn't believe it, 45% of Arab, Israeli Arab households are below the poverty line. Now, what are you guess, uh, suggesting? That we don't have any responsibility for the Arab population? Would you suggest that they are below the poverty line because they choose to be that? No, we have a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, um, obstacles in the Israeli economy and they suffer the most. The Arabs, the uh, or Jewish Orthodox, the periphery in, 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 in Israel, these uh, population don't choose to be uh, poor but the state of the economy uh, creates the environment in which they are suffered the most. But, you know, in, in, in English, you say responsible. Uh, let me say something before that. Uh, according to the literature, the economic literature, 90% of the differences in the state of economy between countries on the same level, for, the, for example, democracies uh, with the 70% of democracy, 70 years of democracy. It's 90% of the difference account for the differences in the quality of the economic policy. That means that the economic policy maker is the one who is responsible for the situation. Now, in English, responsibility or responsible came from the uh, phrases response and able. Who's the one who is responsible? The one who is able to respond. But in Hebrew, it seems that the policymakers in Israel uh, um, perceive the phrase responsible or achra'i from the base of acher, who is who is responsible? Something, someone else, not me. Acher. Acher Different. Now, okay. And I, I, it, I, I cannot, I cannot understand that. I cannot accept that. The Israeli economic policy is the one who is responsible for the poverty, and the one who should tackle it. You worked, uh, Professor Zelicha, uh, as closely as uh, possible with Netanyahu at uh, at least two key junctures of his career. He was credited then with saving Israel's economy 15 years ago. What do you think has happened or changed since then? Well, you know, Milton Friedman once used to say that there is no free meal, no free lunch. You should pay for your lunch. And Mr. Netanyahu understood uh, in 2005, the price, the cost of the reforms he implemented together with me, 
both of us paid a large sum or, or, or suffered a lot from the reforms that we implemented. The tycoons in Israel, the monopolies, the big corporations, and even the big corporation that holds um, communication channels in Israel, for example, Channel 12, or group, the major Israel newspaper. I will just I will ask you in a second about uh, these tycoons because it's, it's, it's really your signature fight. But the, what you're saying actually is that Netanyahu used to be the fighter or the reformer against them and now he's their hostage? That's exactly what I'm saying. Both of us, Mr. Netanyahu and myself, paid a lot for our reforms. When we left out of office, he left in 2005, I left at the end of 2007, we uh, confronted with the situation that most of the tycoons in Israel are against us. Um, I personally couldn't work with any large corporation in Israel. I had to um, give up my career as a top manager in Israel. I had to transform myself. And Netanyahu uh, suffered from a, a large, a large groups that confronted him and against his political aims. In, in the election exactly after this period, he, he, was, he, he achieved only, it was an historic low for Likud, 12 mandates, and you are saying actually he learned his lesson and now he's going hand in hand with all these powers. So, so I'll ask you the question itself. As I said before, your signature tune is an uncompromising fight against the economic power structure and the so-called uh, robber barons, tycoons, and mega conglomerates. Is it not dangerous? Israel is an attractive investment destination, but your policies could drive away the international giants operating here. How would that work, a modern economy without strong economic uh, engines? Well, I disagree with you that the tycoons or the large corporations are the most important economic engines. I believe that the SMEs, the small medium enterprises, are the most important engine in the state of the economy in Israel. Now, we are not only debating theoretically because Netanyahu and myself have implemented our policy in 2003. And let me remind you that before we entered office, the uh, GDP per capita in Israel was 49% of the GDP per capita in America. And by the end of 2007, when I left office, it was 62. Now it's 52, we discussed it before. So in five years, we uh, increased the GDP per capita by 13 basis points from 49 to 62, actually cutting one quarter of the difference between Israel and America. There is no single five years in the history of Israel that we cut one quarter or raised by 13 basis points, never, ever before. So if you were right, how come we had the most, most important uh, economic growth in the history of Israel 
when we implemented these reforms. And it, by, by, by then, in those years, many tycoons said, if you will continue, we will leave Israel. Okay, so many, some, some of them left. But when you are growing so fast, one tycoon go, but another come, come in. So I, I, I will not take uh, these threats as, as uh, solid. For example, let's talk about Intel. It's an international company, very important and, and, and huge. And it came into Israel, I don't remember when, but... 95. But they did it because the, the rate of the taxes that we, we charge a, a, a foreign a conglomerates is very low. Now, if you will increase it, like, like you are suggesting, and, and Intel is one of the biggest employers in Israel, don't you fear that the, the possibility they will be too dangerous? Well, according to the Israeli law, which is unique in the Western world, we gave, give subsidies for certain large corporation if they will establish a new factories for, imp, for export. Now, these factories are, are, are increasing the surplus in the current account and therefore depreciating the Israeli shekel. Sorry, the, the, Israel, the US dollar. Yeah. And therefore, uh, uh, crowding out small, medium export enterprises in Israel that does not receive these subsidies. So you're just replacing export from small, medium enterprises with export of large corporation, which is less efficient because they live on these subsidies. And you're considering only the, the working places that Intel has established, but you are not taking into account the, the triple or, or quadruple uh, um, employment that we lo lose in the small medium enterprises. And what you, you were the accountant general and not myself. I want to ask you a few political questions. Uh, because we are almost out of time. You're saying that uh, you will never sit with Netanyahu. You're, uh, you belong to the, we call it the anti-Netanyahu camp, but indications so far from all the polls show that your party does not stand the chance of crossing the electoral threshold and that the votes you get will be wasted maybe and hurt the chances of defeating Netanyahu. What will you do if on the eve of the election, you are still below the red line, really quick. Well, first of all, we are not very far from the red line as, as you- You're close. Say. We're very, very close. And large numbers of the people that, this, that did not decide yet to who should they vote are consider us in high, high, high um, percentage. So we believe that we will pass. Second, the polls now will not be like the actual, actual numbers, as you said, because you know the, the economic crisis is so huge that when people will confront the poll, the, the actual election, 
how we believe that they will take responsibility on their families since we are the only the only party that presented a solid economic policy and and a, a new program how to get down the prices in Israel we can save 25,000 shekels for a per family a year with our plan so we will be able to change the dramatically the economic situation in Israel. So we believe we will pass the red line and therefore we will run until the end, hopefully to be the next finance minister of Israel and rescue once again the Israel economy. Until the end, and I, I, I guess you hope at the happy end. And you just answered my next question, uh, what, what ministerial office you, you would like, and you're, you, you just said it. The Minister of Finance. So my last question is, let's say you've, you've crossed the red line and you, you are with four mandates in the Israeli Knesset, and it's exactly the four mandates that Benjamin Netanyahu lacks in order to have a coalition, and he comes to you and tells you, "Listen, Yaron, we know from the '60s, you've been my, my economic advisor in 1996 when I just came into office. Let's forget everything. And I, I come join me and you are the next finance minister. Can you say no to such a proposal? Not only that I can say no, I will say no because it's not a personal issue. On a personal level, Mr. Netanyahu hasn't done anything wrong to me. The problem is that he's facing a, a significant, important corruption allegation. And therefore, he doesn't have enough credibility in, in the public eyes. Now, in economic crisis, you need to implement a new economic policy. And the new economic policy cannot be successful unless the leaders, the prime minister and the finance minister, receive a large support from the public, and most importantly, trust. From the public. How can I uh, um, persuade the, the Israeli population that I'm going to change and cut down prices of monopolies if the prime minister is accused by taking bribe from a monopoly to, to, uh, to hold their interest? How can I do that? I'm not a magician. I'm a very good professional but I'm not a magician and I don't want to be a finance minister just to fail I want to be successful like in 2003 and rescue again the Israeli economy that's why I cannot sit with him it's not an, an issue of personal uh, affairs it's a issue of, 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 of trust Professor Zaliha the leader of the new brand new uh, Israeli uh, economy, Party, I wish you success and thank you very much for joining us here in On Israel's podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Litraot. Thank you very much, Ben, for the opportunity. We will be right back after a short break with some final thoughts. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of the award-winning media news site, El Monitor, where we cover the Middle East with some of the best reporters and columnists anywhere. And I'm excited to announce our new podcast, On the Middle East, 
where each week I will interview newsmakers from the U.S. and the region about the latest news and trends with additional commentary from our on-the-ground correspondents. Those of you who follow the region know that what happens in the Middle East doesn't stay in the Middle East. And to cite another great movie line, every time the U.S. tries to get out, the region pulls us back. Your time is valuable, so let me promise you this. You will learn something and you will never be bored because each week we'll be talking with and listening to those leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in this critical and fascinating region. So please subscribe to On the Middle East with me, Andrew Parasoliti. Thank you for staying with us. Ignoring the international credit ratings agencies and many renowned experts, Professor Yaron Zalicha insists that while the Israeli government situation is maybe good, the Israeli people are hurting. Poverty level, says Professor Zalicha, is higher than in most of the Western world, and the growth figures are misleading because of the fast increase in population. I am the only one that can pull the country back to the right track, says the, this interesting candidate. And no, I will never sit again under Benjamin Netanyahu. When I asked him why so, he said, because an indicted man in fraud and bribery charges will not gain the trust that is needed in order to take on the tycoons and the mega companies and conglomerates, which is essential in order to complete the possible mission of restarting Israeli economy. Hope uh, it was interesting. See you next Monday here in On Israel in Al, Al Monitor. I am Ben Kaspit. Take care. Be safe.